Welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon-Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers, Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. Benjamin, happy 200th, epi- 200th episode. Happy 200th episode to you, Elizabeth. We did it. We we are doing it. We have done it. We are about to do it. Whatever. Yeah. And you were doing the math, and it's a... I don't know. It's, it basically feel, it feels like we've been doing this podcast forever. Right. The actual answer is we've probably been doing we've been doing it for about four to five four years. I think. I think, I think it's, it's a, yeah. It, well, yeah. Actually, you're probably right. It's probably closer to four than five. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been because you know at the very least like five hundred. We've we've done fifty episodes a year, math wise, mm-hmm. and we started our our first episode was in March. Yeah, I definitely didn't do. <laughs> I definitely didn't do that kind of math. I literally just thought, like, how long have I been with IndieWire? Okay, yeah. And then we started the podcast pretty soon, like, after we got in. So, yeah, it's about four or five years. And I thought I was thinking closer to five, but I think it's closer to four. Anyway. Yes. Point is, we've been doing this podcast. Numbers. Numbers. What do they mean? (laughs) We are writers. We don't know that. Yes. We we, we rely on John Landgraf to tell us what numbers mean. Ah, that's Um, great. We should have John come on. We should have John come on. Uh, but we're, uh, we're we're here at the uh, Lang in Pasadena finishing up uh, the TCA press tour. This is our, we're at technically at the tail end, but this is also the busiest portion of the tour for a lot of us because this is when all the cable shows are showing up. Going to be some exciting stuff. We're not going to talk about any of that, though, right now. Um, but... I mean, there's if you if you want to keep up with everything that's happening, there's always Twitter for you. Meantime, we're gonna look a little further because as Ben, as Ben nimbly pointed out, like you know we've been doing this for a while, and we've been seeing a lot of changes in the TV landscape as we've been doing it. So uh, with this podcast, we're gonna look forward. We're gonna look forward at the future. We're gonna look forward, perhaps four to five years, and I think and just kind of like examine. You know what it means. What 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 we can expect to see happen. Like our per- wild predictions for you know what the future of television looks like. Yeah, there's there's a consistent conversation going on in TV about you know what it's developing into. Um, a lot of it's been brought upon by the you know the popularity of streaming services and you know the the term cord cutting, which I don't even really hear anymore because it's just kind of an accepted aspect of of how people watch and consume. Have I told you TV. that I used to, like, when I was uh, back in my tech blogging days, like, this was like 2009, um, I contributed to a, I was part of a web series about cord cutting called Cord Cutters, and mm. it was all about the various technologies involved, and uh, I was I was in charge of reviewing content that you could watch as a cord cutter. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's how I, long it's been around as a concept. Yeah, and I mean, it's very much still, like, that is very much a huge part of of what we now call tv yeah um it's arguably the the uh, more popular version of consumption these days just in in at least in um what people are trying to target because they know that's the future one way or another but um the 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 broader point is just i feel like we do talk about where things are headed in a general sense um but using our anniversary as a jumping off point and how long we've been doing this podcast as a jumping off point, I thought it was worth saying, like, what do we expect? What's one thing, one or two things we expect to happen 
in TV in the next four to five years? Like four or five years from now, what's it going to look like? What are we going to be talking about? What's kind of our consumption, you know, a mm-hmm. uh, traditional consumption pattern going to be as opposed to what it is today? And um, I think there's a lot of different ways to, to take that. Um, I have a kind of l- large, probably misconstrued idea of, of my own um, that's formed off a lot of other very popular accepted notions. But Liz, do you have do you have something you want to kick us off with? Well, I think honestly, I think for when I when I think about the way I see a lot of networks going and the way the way I see a lot of networks evolving, I think I think the thing that people keep saying in kind of a you know annoyed way is going to come to pass. I think in I think in four to five years time, if you want to watch every if you want to feel like you have the same grasp on entertainment that you do today you are going to be subscribed to approximately 15 different services um and i think specifically i think you're going to i think we're seeing this already start to happen with the broadcast networks where i mean cbs all access is really ahead of the curve here because it is not just you know where you watch star trek discovery and the good fight it is cbs's hub for all of the shows it airs currently. And like, so let's say you happen to be a, a Hawaii Five-O fan. Shout out to my friends who happen to be randomly be Hawaii Five-O fans, um, which was a weird thing to discover a few months ago. Uh, but hey, they like the show. But anyways, you know, if you want to watch Hawaii Five-O, uh, even when it's airing on CBS, like it's on Netflix, it's there for you. It's there for you on demand. And I so I think like, I think I think you know already. If you want to watch like an NBC show or a Fox show or a, a ABC show, you can download an app uh, for your iPad or iPhone, and you can watch it that way. And I think, I think the whole point of, and those that programming is currently ad supported only. But I feel like you're going to see a lot more networks kind of go, you know, that, you know, they'll create a couple of premium shows for these platforms and all that. Like, it's going to take more than four to five years for broadcast and cable to no longer be available at all in the way in which we are traditionally used to but you know i feel like 20 30 years down the line that that will be a thing and actually there's like a whole interesting layer to that that i wish i knew more about about how like the fcc is affected when we stopped using free the free broadcast airways but yeah i think i think the siloing of content into apps and so forth where so you know you in four years, I may no longer have a cable subscription, but instead of paying $200 to Time Warner, I am paying 15 bucks a month to 15 different entities. And I think that, um, I think we're already very much in that realm now. And I think that the backlash to that has already kind of begun in that there's just some things where, you know, you've, you've made your choices and you've hit your limit and you're not going to pay for as many as you need to pay for at this at this stage like i know there's plenty of people who are just like listen i got hbo so i'm not gonna have showtime and stars right or i i have you know netflix so i'm not gonna have hulu i have hulu so i'm not gonna have netflix they're already making those decisions um so i think they're motivating kind of a a, an even bigger shift and again i'm not sure if this is going to come to pass in four to five years but here's my here's my overarching theory sure um, in line with what you're saying, we're going to see a lot of those consolidate. And, and I think what's going to happen, which a lot of people have already pointed to, and there's already a lot of ardent supporters, is we're going to see stuff kind of fall back into the cable bundling model mm-hmm. just with those different services that you're talking about. So 
someone's going to package the uh, the CBS Corporation's uh, streaming option with the HBO, with the Netflix, with the Disney, and you're going to get it for a deal instead of paying for them separately. I think... Yeah, I feel like like sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but like uh, I feel, so essentially, kind of you feel like it's going to be the a, a broader spread of the things that like YouTube TV and Slingbox and or Sling TV, I guess, not Slingbox. So I think we're going to have those options presented to us in a very similar way. We'll just be paying for them and paying someone or paying one of those entities that's that's providing the bundling. Um, but I think the the key aspect that I'm focused on is more of the merger between TV and film. Like so many people have talked mm. about how television and film, there's not as big of a differential as as there used to be. Obviously the bias that people talked about back in the late 90s, early 2000s about movie stars coming to TV has been all but eradicated. Um, but also the the you know, the directors, the creators, the way that people are writing for it, the, the services. What it really comes down to is branding. Mm-hmm. So the enticement of buying a Disney bundle whenever this Disney service becomes available isn't going to just be the fact that Disney has its own original programs now. It's also going to be because you can watch all of the Disney animated films with your kids. Like, you'll have access to that. So you're paying for both of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're going to see, it might be a little longer than four or five years from now, but not too long after that, is almost like a movie pass adjacent type of service in which if you are a Disney subscriber and you have the right package, then you're going to be able to go to the theater and see a Disney movie for a discount or for free, or you're going to be able to watch it at home, but it depends on what you're willing to pay. Oh my God. That's a really interesting idea. And the only issue I see with it is distributors like throwing a bitch fit. Well, here's the other thing about it. So I, I don't believe that theaters are going to go away. I, I think that theaters are going to maintain. So I think there's going to be, and this is this is the ignorant side of, of my argument because I don't understand how the business side of these things works or would work out. Right. But I can see how with that service in mind, if the theater still exists and you were able to go to the theater just like you had a movie pass credit card or just like you had an app on your phone to download tickets or if you purchased your tickets in advance through the site, et cetera, where that would be linked to the account, the movie theater would know that you paid for your ticket through that service. They'd log that, and they'd get a cut of whatever the subscription rate would be from the distribution company. Mm-hmm. Movie theaters are still making a majority, well, not a majority, movie theaters are still making a good chunk of their money off of concessions and other services that are at the theater, so they wouldn't have to worry about any loss in revenue there. And again, the branding is what's so important here, because... Everybody wants a piece of everything at this point. They want to provide as much as they possibly can. So Disney is going to have its movies and it's going to have its TV shows. And wherever people want to watch it, however they want to watch it, they want to make that as accessible as possible, but they want to hold on to the control of it. Um, I think that's going to follow suit with something like Netflix, which is seeing an actual <laughs> an actual success story theatrical in theatrical release with Roma. Like they're, mm-hmm. They've left that thing out in theaters long enough now where it has to be presumed that people are continuing to go. Otherwise, they would have cut it back even though it's available on the service. Um, so I think that we're, I, again, like I don't know exactly how the business logistics of this would work, but I can see a, a mode in which once you subscribe to a certain brand and when those brands are big enough to encompass a lot of things like um, you know, the, the CBS Corporation is tied into Showtime and other in- endeavors right now that are separate streaming apps, but they'll eventually come together under one giant service. 
and those will just be channels within that service because everybody has to offer their own enticement for everybody. They want to be able to get to every single thing because a lot of uh, the former premium cable providers are now buying movies and considering releasing releasing those movies theatrically for uh, a variety of reasons. It's about the brand still. It's about the idea that, like, yeah, you might go to the theater, but it's still an HBO movie. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know exactly how that, again, from a business perspective, work, will work out. But to go with the idea that we all are going to be under more of a branding control, like more of a, like, there's six majors that are offering you these this plethora of services. to spend money every month, then they're going to want a return on investment there when they see the advantages to it. And it's something where it, it, it feels like that's where we're trending. It feels like that's what, in an ideal world, uh, the business side of the industry would want to have happen. And um, again, like, I mean, MoviePass is a disruptor, Liz. Like, it disrupted the industry. It changed everything. MoviePass <laughs> was a huge deal, and the future is MoviePass without MoviePass. I mean... Here's the interesting here, – here, there are a lot of interesting elements to what you just said because one thing that immediately came to mind is what if Amazon or Netflix like bought AMC theaters or like a Cinemark or another theater chain? And technically there's legal precedent for that being actually like impossible for them to do. Uh, the monopoly – like literally this, the, the theaters got you know cut off from the distribution systems and – or the studios, rather, uh, during like the big antitrust suits of uh, a century ago. But that being said, it's still like <laughs> you, you bet that somebody's floated that question at some point. Uh, the other interesting point that you brought up is the question of data, because I think one of the underreported things, or not underreported, but certainly people talked about it to a degree when MoviePass was not busy crashing and burning. How dare you? I know. Uh, was that uh, in you know, when I go and buy a movie ticket at a movie theater, just you know, using my own my own credit card or cash or whatever, uh, you know, the, all the movie theater knows is that a human being bought a movie ticket. Presumably, an older human being, if it's an R-rated movie, but that's all the information they have on me. When you used Movie Pass, uh, they had your age, your they had your age, they had your gender, they had your uh, ethnicity, they had, I think, actually, like you know your exact biograph uh, you know geographical data like they knew they they knew for example if you they they would know if it by via your billing address if you traveled 20 miles to one city to another to watch a movie i mean i i don't that's a that actually last one i'm making up but that's a sort that's well, no in theory they would though it would be interesting because i think i was still under an east coast zip code for a while on movie pass when oh, really? i first had it out here so they would have thought that i'd traveled to los angeles <laughs> like every couple of days to see a movie but anyway well i'm glad that you're that were, i'm glad you were fucking up their data yeah um because that's the thing of it like that's we we, we don't we, we talk we talk about it when we don't talk about it all the time about how we've all gotten pretty comfortable with the idea that you know you know my apple watch knows how many how, how many calories i burn every day and they can feed that data to my healthcare provider potentially or it could do that yeah. like when I mean, data is well no there's those programs where you get a discount on health insurance if you have a certain number of steps every day yeah so yeah like there it's insane it, it, the way in which data is underlying so much of our world isn't discussed a lot but it's hugely valuable and i think that was actually honestly part of movie pass as a that was part of the movie pass you know 
like business model was mm-hmm. they would have all this data on its on its customers and it would be able to use that data to tailor ads and all this other stuff and so that's hugely troubling but at the same time that's also a huge advantage to like Netflix Netflix would love to know how many movies we see in theaters yeah and, and- if Netflix was able to work out a deal with like AMC or Cinemark or something where you know our Netflix customers could go in and get like a fifteen dollar get a ten dollar discount on movie tickets uh, thanks being a, a Netflix subscriber like that that feeds in the, that feeds the data machine right it's it's becoming something now again like if Roma is actually a success in theaters then they're gonna want to understand why are people so willing to see this like they don't want to base nobody wants to base anything off guesswork anymore they want to have hard data and hard facts they could point to to say this is why they decided to watch this movie and this is why they decided to watch this movie in this way and this is why they decided to watch this movie at this time and in this place and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They want to be able to do all that so they can repeat those successful patterns in the future and minimize all the risk that goes into a business that used to just be about, well, we're going to make this movie because we think it's really good mm-hmm. and people will think it's good and then they'll pay to see it. And now it's... it's. Yeah. My final point about this whole idea of like the... I like that... I feel like this podcast... It really has become about this question of the blending of movies and TV, and I find in, in a very interesting way, and I, I, I like that a lot. Um, I always I always like it when a general topic becomes interestingly specific when we talk about it. Um, but the third idea that interests me about this idea is that the third part of this idea that interests me is uh, it's a good sell for it's a good sell for filmmakers and for creator creators who are getting more and more comfortable, admittedly, with the idea of their films going to streaming platforms. But at the same time, you know, Amazon's having a lot of success with its model of, you know, we also are promising theatrical distribution. If having having that sort of deal available, like, you know, it could be a selling point if a filmmaker's trying to choose between giving their film to Netflix versus Amazon. Right. No, it's very true. If, if one of the companies has struck the deal with a theater or, you know, they legally find out a way to buy that theater, control the theater, etc., yeah. then it's going to appease people like Christopher Nolan who are like, I'm never going to make something on Netflix because I want people to watch not only not screen. only would it not only would a Christopher Nolan Netflix film be available in theaters, but there's additional incentive for people to go see it in a the theater, mm-hmm. which admittedly a lot of people, you know, people still do want to prefer the theatrical experience. Right. And that's another part of the the theory. It's it's that we uh, um, not that long ago, we were talking about how theaters were just going to go away because people wanted to be able to watch stuff at home. They were annoyed by uh, the crowds, they were annoyed by sellouts, they were annoyed by people behind them kicking the seat, they were annoyed by people talking during the movie, they were annoyed by going to the theater. So people assumed that they would just eliminate that option from, if they could, from their planning, and they would just watch it at home. And we've seen various people try to experiment with, okay, this movie is coming out same day, VOD, and in theaters. Uh, This movie is coming out same day as on Netflix as it is Mm -hmm. in theaters. This, This is coming out... And you can pay a premium to see it at home instead of going to the movie theater. And, you know, they've they've got that data. They know how successful it's been. But we also know that theaters haven't gone anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they will just because there is that instinctual desire to see certain things in a theater or to just not lose that experience. We might have less theaters. There might be... They might be, again, they might be just structured in a different way and, like, how you would go to it and why you'd go to it and what time. But... Um, there's value to the date night, the group activities, the yeah. the the seeing it with a crowd, etc. 
Um, so I think that if, again, from my very ignorant stance on the business side of, of you know, economics, like how mm-hmm. this could practically work out and how they would lease these deals and make these agreements, um, if there was a way for companies to say, listen, you can, you are subscribing to our brand, you are subscribing to Warner Brothers and or AT&T Time Warner or whatever, and by subscribing to that, that means you can see all of these movies in any way that you want, all of these TV shows in any way that you want, and that's the dream. I mean, if, I think if you asked any customer, like, if that was an option, I think that would be fairly enticing to them. So long as, again, they're not subscribing to 15 things at once and paying $15 for each of them. You know, they're not doing something where it's harder to manage than paying the exorbitant rates for cable, which is where this cord cutting thing started from. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's I, I definitely just feel like the branding is becoming so important mm-hmm. and the way in which that's going to be controlled by especially especially you know the 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 disruptors like apple you know apple's coming out we don't know what the fuck they're going to do they could try it yeah so God. i just i just had this like horrifying vision of like you know 10 years down the line you know you're trying you're you're you're, you're trying to you're trying to go out there trying to date people and you're like, oh god, that guy's a Netflix guy. I'm a Hulu girl. Like, I don't, I don't want to truck with that bullshit. Like, maybe that's the enticement. Maybe it's like, oh my god, if I date that guy, I get access to Netflix, and I don't have to pay more for it. Well, that was the old way. Um, I may or may not have dated a guy for a few months because, and in, in a big cornerstone of our relationship was the fact that I had cable and he did not, and he wanted to watch Battlestar Galactica. Um, that was a great relationship that worked out really well for me. Yeah, you should. We should all definitely base our relationships on what brands we're affiliated with in the future. <laughs> Again, that's not necessarily a TV prediction, but I'm that's, pretty sure that, that's, that's going to happen anyway. Yeah, I mean, as long as like if, if in this dystopia we could all wear jumpsuits with the very with the various logos on them, yeah, they'd be good jumpsuits. They'd be very comfortable and slimming. It'll probably just be one of those like not a, not a barcode, not one of the whatever scanning things, but it'll right. be something on a your QR person code? so that like when you see them and you'll have your contact lens in or your glasses, oh, yeah, your contact. it'll just scan it and tell you, up oh, Netflix person, like yeah. get the fuck away from them or hey, yeah. go say hi. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, um, I think we're in an exciting time. I, I definitely embrace the idea of kind of blending the, the worlds of TV and film Um from a writing standpoint, from a production standpoint, there are key differences that the filmmakers and creatives need to acknowledge right. because the, sto- the version of storytelling is different. Uh, but in terms of, of blending the worlds together and, and how we appreciate them and, and what the artistic value is, uh, there's not, there shouldn't be as much of a differentiation. So I mean, I think everyone, I think, I think the filmmakers who are coming to TV are really excited by the potential. I think the TV, the people from TV who are getting to take advantage of everything that uh, a more filmic approach offers them are, enjoy- are are excited by those possibilities. Like I think, when you put limits on creativity, it can help, but sometimes it can it can hurt. And I feel like we're a lot of what's been exciting about the current current state of everything is you know the fact that people are not saying are not drawing as many lines. So I think it's a good time. Um, I mean, I'm most excited this year for like two TV creators to make their not film debuts, but but to the movies that they're making that are coming out, like Jordan Peele's coming back with us. Yeah, that's exciting. He was you know TV first, and then uh, Justin Simeon has his horror hair movie coming out, which yeah. is very exciting. So it's like, you know, it's it's just about having access to that in whatever way we want, and in 
uh, the most convenient as well as uh, fiscally responsible way. So it's just, you know, we'll see how it develops, but yeah. it's exciting to see the crossover continue. Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? I think the best thing I watched last week... Man, that's so hard. We've been watching a lot. Got to keep up. Got to keep up. I've been watching a lot, and also I feel like I haven't seen a lot of new things or things that are about to come on the horizon. Um, a, lot of, a lot of long lead stuff? Yeah, TCA's lead to that, as well as, like, I'm just kind of backtracking on work, but... I mean, I'll, I'll I'll throw out uh, I'll throw out the upcoming season of Better Things as something that we should all be very very excited about. There's obviously I mean there's 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 no embargo on it, um, which is nice. But I've seen some of the early episodes and um, they're very very good. Uh, I believe it debuts a couple of weeks, weaker week or two in February. So um, so I think it's it's safe to say you can look forward to that. I mean, I'm gonna ask the annoying question that needs asking because people want to ask it how different does it feel from previous seasons given everything they have on behind the scenes it feels like um it feels like a development it feels like a um does it feel different but not necessarily better or worse i mean sure but it, it's it's more that it 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 feels like a natural progression of the show. It mm. doesn't feel like you were watching it and then season two ended and season three starts and all of a sudden you're watching something else. It just feels like it's it's growing uh, along with the creator's desires and the stories they want to tell and then the characters within those stories. So um, it feels natural. There's definitely moments, if you're looking for them, where you could say, oh, that feels like something they wouldn't have done in prior seasons, or this feels like a different way to, to take this story. But um, everything they're doing with the show has been so focused on Adlon's natural or learned, I guess, I don't know, just her, her, her storytelling instincts, like the way that she wants to share her vision has always kind of been the basis of this. So I think that's continuing. And for me, it's exciting to see her development again like like the fact that she doesn't want to just keep doing the same thing over and over again the fact that she wants to take chances and experiment is exciting so um i still need to watch more of the screeners that we've been given i've seen four now how dare um you. i know no time but uh but it's it's very exciting it's exciting to see where they're going so cool. um better things put on your calendar whenever it comes out i can't tell you i don't remember but uh, it's this end of month. february yep it's this month um but Liz, what are you looking forward to? Well, what, what, what was the best thing I watched? Damn it. You did it. It's okay. We've only done this 199 times before. Trying to mark the time code. Uh, you're, a good, you're, doing, you're, doing, you're doing important work there. You're doing good stuff. I appreciate that. Um, we're gonna have some, this episode's going to require some editing, guys. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. You're, it's going to be so well edited. Um, so yeah, uh, the best thing I watched last week, uh, I'm just going to shout out for one day at a time, Please, guys, watch this show. It's very, very good. It does some stuff in season three that genuinely surprised me. It's, I mean, I feel like they're, they're, the fact that it's a multi-cam sitcom that is also really well-written and really well-designed for the binge model is 
something we don't talk about enough. Like it's it is episodic in a, the purest way possible, in the way that is closest to its roots uh, from the Norman Lear era. But it is also just. But it is also like such a compelling story, especially in the back half of the season. A lot of things come together in ways that are surprisingly dark and yet also offer a lot of emotional catharsis. It's beautifully done. It's a beautifully done show. Please watch it. Um, I will. Thank you. Uh, Eventually. Uh, What's the next thing you're looking forward to? Um, Because it feels somewhat sacrilegious for our 200th episode to not nod to uh, the person uh, the creator who I talk about the most throughout this podcast. I'm going to just say that the next thing I'm looking forward to is Watchmen in the year 2019 from our uh, friend of the podcast, Damon Lindelof. Oh, are we going? We want to go big picture with this then? Well, again, like for me, I mean, I guess it can fit into the theme of us looking forward, uh, right, like no, a, like fine. longer term, I guess. But also, I didn't know how else I was going to get to him, and it feels weird to not, not have a leftovers reference on the 200th edition of the podcast. So I mean, you you owe the jar you owe the jar a dove now. That's fine, but it also it's, well, it's I can I could argue against it because it feels like a mandate because the podcast is so grounded. I was honestly thinking if you hadn't come up with this topic, I was thinking we could just talk about the leftovers for half an hour. Like I, I was just thinking, I mean, fuck. Actually, you know what we should, that I I pitched this idea to you, reader readers listeners, tell us what you think of this. I was pitching the idea of us doing a commentary episode where we'd watch an episode of television together and just like talk about it. And I was thinking like one episode, we could pick like an episode of The Leftovers to watch together. And I mean, I don't know if talking through The Leftovers is sacrilegious or not. Maybe we'd have Borderline. to pick what Yeah, I mean, maybe we'd have to pick something like we'd want to make fun of. I don't know. I don't I don't know what would play best in this regard. Um, at the very least, I know Ben's mom will tell us. Uh, so shout out to Ann Travers as always, uh, our most... Our, our most loyal and dedicated listener uh, who deserves a shout out in this 200th episode. Thanks, Mom. Yep. You're, you rule, Anne. We love you. Um, ben, ben, probably more than me, but I, I do care about you a great deal. Definitely more. I mean, come on. What are you talking about? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's fair. You can love my mom, but I'm going to love right. her more. Yeah. Yeah, that's just the way it works. Um, one would hope, anyway. One would hope. Um, I, I Shout out to my mom, who probably is also listening. Hi, Mom. Um... But anyways, uh, if we're the playing- moms and David Lindelof are who we cannot not talk about on the 200th episode of the podcast. Oh gosh, because no, now you got me in my head, man. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll do mine big picture, uh, even though I feel like it's a little bit sooner. It's not necessarily as it's it's not as near a sure thing. But I feel like I mean I've been I've been yelling a lot about Good Omens lately uh, because Amazon's bringing it to TCAs. It's not coming out super soon it's probably gonna be a few more months but good omens is easily one of my most anticipated shows of the year and neil gave i love the fact that neil gaiman who is a writer i have a lot of respect for um who hasn't done a lot of tv has let his stuff be adapted for tv but hasn't done a lot of it himself but uh good omens which is one of my all-time favorite books please read the book if you haven't yet um it was written with terry pratchett and terry pratchett it passed away a few years ago and the reason neil gaiman agreed to showrun Good Omens and oversee it to a degree he's never done before is literally because he promised Terry Pratchett on his deathbed. And it is, I can only imagine that they've done what they can to make a book that I literally refer to as my personal Bible in high school um, really accessible for the screen. And that cast is amazing. So Yeah, can you imagine like if Neil Gaiman came to you like and said, hey, I want you to make this show and you're just kind of like, I don't know, I want to do it. He's like, listen. 
I was asked by a man on his deathbed to do this story to the best of my capabilities, to take this on, and I want you, and you're going to say no? No way they're saying no. I mean, how else do you get John Hamm, David Tennant, Michael Sheen, everyone well, else? We should, we should probably... Michael McKean. We should probably say that, you know... Francis McDormand. We're not going to imply that they didn't want to do it. Yeah. They probably wanted to do it, again, because of everything you just said about the importance of the novel and, and the allure of, of it being made at Amazon and all that stuff. But if for some reason they were just like, listen, my, like my kid is like his birthday is coming up and he made me promise to take him to Antarctica. So I'm going to be out of town for like three weeks. And they're like, that's right in the middle of production. He's like, I don't give a shit. Like I asked you to do this. Man on deathbed. I mean, that, that feels a little, I don't want to make fun of Terry Pratchett dying because I don't think that's what we're doing. No, no, no. It's not, it's not making fun of at all. It's just one of those things where uh, when you put yourself in the shoes of someone who's being asked to do something and there's this like weight behind it, like weight behind the favor. um, I mean, it, it affects things. Yep, definitely. And I mean, I would, I would imagine it will definitely affect Gaiman's approach to the material, Mm -hmm. especially coming off American Gods. Um, so that he will, like, there's going to be nothing that gets by him. So Yeah. Funnily enough, by the way, uh, I was originally going to say that the next thing I was looking forward to is Good Omens. But I feel like, uh, not sorry, the next thing I was looking forward to was uh, American Gods. But the real truth of the matter is it's Good Omens. Always Good Omens. Yeah, we're still. It's still, it's like. What, a month away from American Gods, too? So American yeah. Gods, yeah, it's the beginning of March. Uh, Good Omens isn't announced yet, but it's probably going to be more later spring than I think it originally sounded. Um, I think I was expecting it more like February, March-ish, and I don't think we're getting it then. Uh, oh, well. But eventually we will get it, and you'll be able to read all about it and more on IndieWire.com, where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. Make sure to listen to IndieWire's other wonderful podcasts, including the one that started it all, Screen Talk with Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn, and um, the one, the only, the best, the, I mean, the, the greatest of omens. Uh, Chris, <laughs> the greatest of omens. Chris O'Fault's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. Uh, love you, Chris. Uh, yeah, you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. And even better, you can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet, that's with an I, and then an E. Correct. We will be back next week. Uh, and I, really, Ben, thank you for doing 200 episodes of the show with me. It's thank been... you for doing 200, Liz. We did it. We've been. Ha- I feel like it's been fun. <laughs> it has been fun. It has been... Uh... It has been unexpected in every we, way. We've done it. We've done it internationally. We've done it. Yeah. We've done it. We've done it from well, you where we were living in different cities. It's been a it's been a steady part of our lives for a while now. We've done it with wildly different equipment. Wildly different equipment from iPhones to digital recorders to this very nice setup we have here. Uh, we've had a few special guests. We're actually going to have more special guests in the future. We're probably going to actually amp that up. We may amp, amp that up a little bit. We'll see how that works out. Um, but if you have any, if you, if you want to be on our podcast, let us know. <laughs> Don't do that, Ben says. Uh, ben is shaking his head very firmly on this matter. Um, we reach out to you. You don't reach out to us. Ah, <laughs> uh, that should be the way it always is. But in anyways, thank you guys for listening. It's been a pleasure to record 200 episodes of the show for you. We'll see about doing 200 more. Uh, But in the meantime, as always, keep watching television. 